What would it mean to you or your family to have a doctor who really listens, who cares deeply, and who meets you where you are? In this time of managed care, when medical visits are pared down like airplane seats, we got to talk with a pediatrician who insists on serving the whole family with a range of options that span mainstream medicine, alternative treatments, and good old-fashioned emotional support. Dr. Jennifer Tedrowski, or Dr. T as we like to call her for obvious reasons, has been a pediatrician for 10 years and has lived in Prescott for five of those with her husband and daughter. Dr. T works at Ponderosa Pediatrics, which is part of the Dignity Health Yavapai Regional Medical Group. She's a DO or osteopath, and she's trained in Reiki as well. When she's not working, Dr. T enjoys Prescott's beautiful hiking trails and taking in the art either by visiting galleries, attending shows on the square, or dabbling in her own paint. Dr. T is also a member and advocate for the Vaccinate with Confidence campaign. The endeavor addresses parental attitudes and perceptions associated with vaccines to counter the spread of vaccine misinformation that adversely affects children and families in Yavapai County. The messaging and imagery is designed to show families what these infectious diseases can look like, Remind them that these are serious diseases that can include a number of serious immediate and long-term implications, and to express that the best way to protect the people they care about is to keep their family's immunization status up to date. Stay tuned to hear a lively, laughter-filled, and information-rich conversation about what family medicine can be like. This is the Prescott Woman Podcast, an audio supplement of Prescott Woman Magazine, and we're your hosts, Kelly Roberge and Charles Matthews. All right, let's, let's get, get local. local. Oh, just kidding, oh, and we are so happy to be talking with Dr. Jennifer Tadrowski today. Hello, how are you? Oh, doing okay. Dr. Chodrowski is a pediatrician with Ponderosa Pediatrics, and we're so happy to get to talk with you today. I appreciate you having me. So what made you pursue a profession in pediatrics? It was an interesting journey for me, actually, because I started down a different road. I'm not one of those that like grew up wanting to be a doctor their whole life. You know, I, I wanted to be an astronaut and then I wanted to be a marine biologist, you know, because like, you can't be a young girl without wanting to be a marine biologist, at least for a little while. You know? <laughs> um, and then I got really into biology and science and psychology was my main interest. And then I started graduate school to do neuropsychology and get more into the biology of how we think and, and and what makes us do the things that we do. And the more I got into that, the more I got into, I really need the rest of medicine to go, <laughs> to go along with this. So it just kept snowballing and expanding. And my, my goal at first was to be a family practitioner in a rural area, underserved, old country doc sort of deal. And then through my training and rotations, I did my first pediatric residency and was was sold immediately. I decided that it's easier to intervene when patients are younger. Let me say that. <laughs> I've always been one of those really annoying, positive people that's like always looking at the bright side and just drive people crazy. And so getting to be that kind of bright spot for kids who may not have that otherwise, where you really feel hopeful for the future is what really sold me on 
pediatrics. So try to keep kids from becoming old, crusty, jaded adults is my, <laughs> my goal. <laughs> Did you always like kids or was that new for you? I liked kids, but I was never really into kids. You know, mm-hmm. my sister and I are 12, almost 12 years apart. We're 11 and a half years apart and I'm the oldest. And so that was sometimes a positive experience and sometimes not. Um, I was never super into like babysitting, but like, if you just like, but I'm that one who just like, if you're out at dinner, like all the kids stare at you and want to talk to you. So that was, that was fun. So I always joke that I like kids in these little like short increments, but then over time, you know, full time is a different story. Even though I do kids all day, I get to, you know, do a different one every 20, 30 minutes. So was there, was there something that you saw in your rotations early on in in the pediatric ward or, or that that convinced you that that was what you wanted to do? Um, it was really a combination of things. One, kids are incredibly resilient, so they're going to survive most things, <laughs> you know, and I joke a lot of time that pediatrics is the fine art of not doing anything and really knowing when I need to do something and when not to. Um, I really fell in love with just like standard clinic. I love well child checks. I love checking development. I love educating and and teaching parents. I love coaching new moms through those blurry first couple of weeks, you know, and I love watching kids grow up so that to me that the relationship and then getting to know people. And I enjoy that even more than the, than the medicine most, (laughs) most of the time, you know, I'm not one of those adrenaline junkies who really thrives on like critically ill kids is not not my bag i'm in it for the humanity (laughs) part of it more and how do we shape you to be a successful adult both in your life skills as well as your general health wow that's a super cool holistic approach so you've been practicing for 10 years so far yes and I, I imagine your first cohort of of kids are starting to starting to become adults. They're starting to age out of your practice. What's that they like? Are, they are. Uh, it was funny when I started, you know, because I wanted to be in a little, you know, the same place for my mm-hmm. whole career, which you know, life doesn't always go that way. Um, but but yeah, seeing your your first patients, you know, graduate high school or or the ones that started a little later come in with their own kids. I don't have very many of those. (laughs) That's got to be super weird. That's, that's really cool. I like seeing kids who come in with a new sibling, you know, and kind of go through those life adjustments. That's great. I can hear, I can hear your excitement for sure. (laughs) I'm going to, you've kind of already answered this, but I'm just going to ask it anyway to see if if, if more comes out of it. But what is it that you really like about doing what you do? Um, oh, there's so many things. Um, I really like being that a positive point of contact for families. It's really important to me that our visits go well. You know, my style is very like I'm joining your family and you're joining mine. I always joke that pediatricians come in kind of two flavors, either like very intense and very like 
by the book or sort of large children ourselves. Um, and I definitely fall into that later category. You know, I joke a lot. I, everybody needs to laugh at least once in every encounter with me. Um, we need to really be able to communicate well and ask questions. Like I said, for me, it's about the connection and the education and the support and having someone just listen to you. I think that's one of the big challenges in our American modern healthcare system and the way we have to practice, it gets super challenging. And I do run late a lot because I Mm. really want to spend time listening and talking to you. And a lot of times that's all parents need and they come out feeling a whole lot better just because they could unload all their worries and their anxieties and their, and their concerns. So I want to be that person that kind of takes all that in and like, you know, this, this is going to be fine. This we maybe need to worry about and do some work in, um, but really have that foundation of, of trust and work together. So everybody comes out good on the other end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's so important. That listening and that validation mm-hmm. to just to mental health. And that does seem like a rare thing these days. Do, do your parents tell you that they aren't getting this kind of care elsewhere? Sometimes, sometimes. And we're very fortunate in our community. We have, you know, a few, there's a few pediatricians here in the area. And I think pediatricians in general do a little bit better job at this than maybe some other specialties. Just yeah, I'm kind of so curious what your, upper, what your upper age range is for patients. Like, is a, is a 55-year-old yeah. okay? <laughs> Um, especially because I'm an osteopath too and do some things that other people don't do. I have many parents that want to see me as well. Um, But we keep you till kids insurance, chuck them out. So usually you can technically come till you're like 21 or 24 on certain plans But we always encourage them when you're getting to that 19, 20 year level that you need to start thinking about transitioning over. Or I tell them if you're starting to have really adult problems, I don't know how to deal with and (laughs) Or you have to be your own kid. Yeah, every once in a while I have a double well check and it's not like siblings. It's like a mom and her kid. I'm like, that's time for you to, you know, <laughs> graduate out. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. So what do you wish more people knew about being a pediatrician? From the patient standpoint, um, I, I hope people know this is a, a safe place to talk, you know, um, that this is the place where you should feel really comfortable bringing your concerns. You know, pediatrics, we're very unique in that our specialty is children, but we treat the entire family. And so a lot of what we're treating is parent anxiety or questions or misinformation or just stress and uncertainty. You know? um, and so we're always walking that line of, of hearing you, trying to assess the entire situation and family unit and how that's contributing to health. So pediatricians sometimes get, you know, we're not like high on the totem pole as far as, as specialties go. But I like to think that we're doing twice the work for every single patient that we that we see because mm-hmm. it's never the kid. It's the kid and their parent and the grandparent and their sibling and whoever else is coming along. So um, I think a lot of times pediatrics gets really kind of underappreciated because we're not dealing a lot with the same sort of like chronic disease as many adults. Sometimes we are, and then it's tremendously difficult. Um, but there's a lot that, that goes into it and a lot of care and attention that goes to, to multiple. It's never a single patient visit, hardly ever. <laughs> oh, that makes right. us really unique. 
Yeah, we talk a lot about going upstream and it sounds like you're taking a real upstream approach that's going to help children and families to develop good habits over a lifetime and work through things before they become problems or solve them sooner before they get worse. Absolutely. And children who get good medical care from caring professionals. Who make them laugh. Who make them laugh <laughs> and, and make them feel seen and important and cared for. Is It's got to make a big difference about how they take care of themselves for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. We talk a lot in medicine about primary prevention, secondary prevention, and when when you have opportunity to really intervene. Um, and pediatrics, I think, is like the really the one place where primary prevention is a real thing. Like we're getting in there, you know, hopefully before we're overweight, overweight, before, you know, we have horrible diets, before we've lost all sense of social skills whatsoever, but, you know, before all these things, because it, it's hard time. It's hard times to be a kid. It's incredibly hard times to be a parent. And, and there's just conflict and pressure everywhere you, everywhere you turn. So, so for me, it's really important to be that kind of home base, the safe place where you can like bring all your stuff and get some advice and really know that it's okay to not have the answers. And half the time, I don't have the answers either, but we're going to figure it out, you know, and just people need that that kind of judgment-free zone to bring their questions and have someone they trust just for the, the conversations is it it's, it's tough time for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah That yeah. sounds healing just, just to be with you in that kind of emotional space sounds really healing. I appreciate that comment very much. I put a lot of my own energy and heart into my, right. <laughs> my well, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's too bad that pediatrics isn't more held up as, you know, seen in the professions as an important specialty because it, it does lay the groundwork for a whole lifetime of, of wellness when it's done well. What kind of suckers do you give out? We do not give suckers. No, because um, no, mm. I can't lecture you about your diet and then give you sugar. So right. that would make me pretty hypocritical. But we have a fabulous stock of stickers, Ooh, um, stickers are good too. that we use. Yeah. Love so. it. So what do you what do you do to recharge and to make sure that you have energy to keep bringing, you know, to your patients and to mm. your to your mm -hmm. patients families? Yeah. This was something I've been working on a lot recently. You know, the past couple of years have been tremendously difficult on on everyone. Um, and a lot of well, everyone just kind of suffered through the pandemic, through political unrest, through what feels like everyone's fighting with everyone all the time. But it does. I've had to work over the years a lot at not overdoing and keeping keeping some energy for myself and my own family. Um and it's been an interesting journey for me because I'm an osteopath, because I do a lot of hands-on manipulation as well. Um, I do invest a lot of emotional and physical energy <laughs> into my patients. And it was getting a little gnarly there for a little while. So over the past several months, for sure, I'm kind of expanding into some other things to take a little bit better care of myself and to find 
other ways to reach people as our society keeps kind of evolving um, and trying to meet people's needs that come from an incredibly diverse array of backgrounds has been interesting. So I actually just got my level two Reiki certification. I'm looking a lot into energy work and some things like that. There's so many parallels between osteopathic manipulation and all of the right, like there's so many overlaps and things. So I've learned a lot in the past year on self-care and balance and, and not figuring out how to share and create space for people without giving up all of myself <laughs> in the meantime, because it does, it, you don't just know how to do that. That was a big challenge for me to be able to kind of keep my own personal boundaries um, and find ways to recharge. So I do. I cry with patients. I laugh with patients. I feel their emotions with them. And that's a thing I think that people like about me, but it does get really hard. It's gotten much better the past few months. I've really put a lot of energy into figuring out how to take care of myself. Um, and it's making a big difference. So I don't ever want to encounter that person who really needs me and just be out of gas at the oh. end of the day. Or I go home to my five-year-old daughter and be like just white. And that's the worst. You know, I've given all of myself to everyone else's children all day. <laughs> you got you got to save some for your for your own. They get the short end of the stick sometimes. Yeah. So that's been a fun a fun process. And I'm in a I would say a much better place now than I was probably you know six eight months ago. Is there anything in particular that you recommend that has helped you recharge your batteries? Because, you know, I, I definitely relate to the whole end of the rope sort of feeling. Right, right. Just take and it's amazing how little time it really takes. So I've learned some very um, specific tools, some grounding techniques. Some I do a lot of meditation. Um, and that was hard for me in the beginning. I'm naturally not someone who just likes to sit still and do nothing. And I'm, but I also really struggle to turn my brain off at the end of the day. So that was a long journey. And I tell you, you know, start with what's accessible. You know, I got the Calm app for free and, you know, mm-hmm. just jump in and try some stuff, you know, and then that led into some more specific um, styles of meditation. And now, now I'm pretty good. I can take five minutes and, and really clear out, take my energy back, give people the back what belongs to them take my work hat off put my mommy hat back on and get home and, and be much literally more energetic and awake and alert and hot and not so grumpy <laughs> you know, step out try to so you never really get out of your doctor role completely but mm-hmm. really try to put all that aside so when I'm with family it's, it's all about that and so and that those little things have been huge huge for me. And that's something anything can practice, you know, anyone can learn. I teach a lot of breathing techniques to my patients and things like that. Cause it's, it is so useful, but not at first you got to practice. You, <laughs> you got to break through that part where it feels weird or horrible or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing that practice. And I'm, I'm just sure. curious whether you'd be willing to kind of talk about how you're combining sort of you know, the, the osteopathic work, the traditional pediatric work, and now you're even talking about doing energy work and Reiki. And how does, mm. how does that work with kids? I've never, yeah. I've never met um, somebody specializing in, in pediatrics who's, who's combining East and West and traditional, yeah. non-traditional modalities. Yeah. And that's super new for me. So there's a lot that I'm still in learning phase. Um, like literally the Reiki just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's been helpful to use on myself. And so a lot is still like, I have, I have big, I have big dreams of how it's all going to come together. Um, but it's not quite there yet because I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, but there is very much 
a, a lot of energetic things that happen. And anyone who does any sort of work, putting hands on another human being, even if you're, you know, a hairstylist, like there's things that are happening there. And I think, I think we need to find a way to build that bridge. <laughs> but I have a, a diverse upbringing. I have wandered different paths along my life and, and, and faced challenges and overcome things and done crazy stuff. And I always pride myself and I can pretty much find common ground with anyone, anywhere and something, you know, but my, my daydream is to find a way to really practice integrative pediatrics, you know, and, and meet people where they are, what their preferences are, but at the same time knowing like, no, this really needs antibiotics. Yes. <laughs> you know? I really believe you should still vaccinate your children. However, we can try this, that, or the other thing and, and find ways to, to, to bring people together. You know, we've gotten so divided as a people. So any way I can find to find that common ground, find different ways, you know, I don't like to use the word alternative, um, but integrative, complementary, you know, I'm trying to learn about oils and herbs because I have a ton of patients that, that do that and they prefer to try that first. And you don't find a lot of people that can bridge the gap and know like, okay, we did that. Now it's really time to do this. And so ultimately I want to be that bridge and have every kind of tool up my sleeve, you know, but still have the foundation of medicine when we need it, you know? So it sounds Um, like it's coming from a place of just wanting to be able to serve everybody in the way that they want to be served. Yes. And to stay in relationship with folks so that when, when they need the, when they need the, the allopathic West, medicine. Yeah, you can pull out the pull out those relationship points and lay them on the table. Yes, yes. Service is really where it comes from. You said that much more succinctly than I did. But it's amazing. A lot of parents are afraid to tell you what they've been trying at home and that, you know, I've been treating my adolescent's depression with with ashwagandha and lavender. And I'm like, no, tell me those things. One, because I need to know. Um, And two, I'm not going to shun you out of my office. You know, like I do some different stuff too. It's okay. Like it's okay to be open about the things that you're doing. We don't have to be so separate. We're like, the things that you do with your naturopath or a secret from your pediatrician. <laughs> like we can all work together. You know, we can. <laughs> I think we can. If I could close my eyes. Prescott Woman Magazine shows its dedication to this community in all the ways. They cover local stories, feature local businesses, honor local leadership champion local causes and raise money for local nonprofits. Each issue contains gorgeous photography and provides pages and pages of value all for free. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our previous episodes at prescottwomanpodcast.com. This episode is an extension of the story in the current issue of the Prescott Woman magazine. For more on Dr. T and the Vaccinate with Confidence campaign, pick up the August-September issue, available now. This gorgeous lifestyle and business magazine is free at locations all over town. Check the show description or check prescottwomanmagazine.com slash distribution to find the location nearest you or subscribe at prescottwomanmagazine.com to make sure you get your issue as soon as it comes out. Okay, now back to our talk with pediatrician Dr. Jennifer Tedrowski. And you mentioned vaccines. Let's pivot a little bit yeah. and talk about mm-hmm. talk about the big V word. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Talking about division and conflict, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're part yeah. of the you're part of the vaccinate with confidence campaign. Yes. And I'm really curious about it. And I'm just curious what moved you to get involved with that campaign. Um, it's been interesting. Um like I said, it's a hard time to be a parent. Um, it's a hard time to be a human. We're going through this very weird shift of flip-flop, you know, back in the day, your doctor had all the answers and and you did what they said, you know, and then the internet was invented. <laughs> uh, oops. And there's been some great stuff that came with connecting people and giving everyone a voice. And there's been a whole lot of very damaging, scary stuff that has happened with <laughs> allowing anyone to say anything in any forum. This project has been has been good as we continue to face vaccine challenges and, and decreasing rates of vaccination in our kids. Um, and then the pandemic happened and nobody came to the doctor anymore and kids got really behind in shots and things like that. That There's been this tremendous need to try to put some some solid information out there to counteract sometimes some of the kind of wacky stuff that you read um, sometimes. And again, foster, come and talk to your healthcare provider about your questions and your concerns and, and don't do research on Facebook. <laughs> Even though we're putting things on Facebook, we're like, well, at least we're going to try to put a positive message alongside some of the other things that parents are seeing. Um, so it was, it was a nice attempt to, find a new way to reach people and just put some, some positive and inaccurate messaging out there in some of those social media platforms. <laughs> and this is, this is kind of a, a, a grassroots slash big government program. It's, it's part of the CDC, but also the American Association of, of Pediatrics and mm -hmm. just local doctors and yeah. healthcare workers and educators, right? It's a big, mm -hmm. it's a big conglomeration of people saying, yeah. saying what kids need to, Get vaccinated, right? Kids need to get vaccinated. Absolutely. Um, Got to get your dip tent. <laughs> you do. Um, and that's the thing is you read, you know, you know, should you get your COVID vaccine? Like, I'm not going to go there today, but you see like the rampant, you know, stances on either side. And and as this filters down, you know, people get afraid to do other vaccines that have been around for decades now. You know, we have a pretty good safety record for DTAP, you know, and some of these things. And so it, it's hard when you kind of shake someone's confidence in, in one area, it just spreads to everyone else. Uh, like you have one bad doctor experience. I don't want to see any doctors now. You know, if you keep seeing someone's, you know, someone has a bad experience, it, someone had a bad experience. But as you constantly have your social media feeds filled with government trackers in my vaccine and whatnot, like it's just hard <laughs> to come yeah, back and make good decisions and yeah. feel good about the rest of the vaccines, you know, or now I'm questioning pediatric care as a whole, you know, and it's just, it's hard to stop that kind of suspicion cancer. I call it like you mm -hmm. just get this doubt and then it just festers and spreads into other, other things. Well, that um, makes me, so. that makes me really sad to, to think that, yeah. that it's making people more suspicious of stuff yeah. that we've, I mean, I, you know, my vaccination card is filled up from right. childhood. It's like, it's full. I got all my, yeah. I got all my shots. We just took the cat, the kitten to get, his 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 vaccine cards filled yeah. up. Yeah. Kelly's vaccine card yeah. is filled up, and it and it's yeah. it's lovely not having polio. My grandmother it had. Is. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother 
grandmother had polio too. <laughs> my grandmother had polio. One of my one of my aunties had polio, but she didn't. Yeah. That's I love not having tetanus. I think that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. If you have to sit and watch a whole family go through a pertussis outbreak in mm. your community, it's happened in my rural town. Like that's tough to watch, that's you brutal. know. And you get like five phone calls a day. Like, don't you have anything that can make them stop coughing? <laughs> no. <laughs> pertussis in in China. It's called the hundred days cough. Because you are going to cough intensely uh, for a yeah. hundred days, and you're going to yep. cough so hard you might break your own ribs. And like, no, I don't have anything to fix it. Yep. At that point, you know, and I actually, prevention. Right? Yeah, and actually, as so. a little as a little guy, I got pertussis before <laughs> I was able to get vaccinated. So yeah. I actually, I was in the hospital for several days mm-hmm. as yeah. a little as a little tiny guy. As an yeah. infant, or as a- just barely post infant. I don't know what age. I don't know what age we were. Yeah, uh, wow. somewhere in between infant and toddler. Yeah, yeah. And that's a common age, actually, you know, because it takes the whole three shots to get your first full layer of protection. So that's two, four and six months of age. Mm. So those babies are are vulnerable until they've had that third dose. Most kids get pertussis from their own family or from grandparents or for people whose immunity has waned. We see a lot of people who like to delay vaccines because it'll be safer when they're older, which is not really backed up by science. But they're they're vulnerable in that whole time. So so babies are, are a common group that we see see pertussis in. I was curious if the campaign has a, a, a critical thinking aspect to it. Are you helping people think differently about all you know the the data and where they're getting information and that kind of thing or is it just a a messaging campaign it's a little bit of both it's primarily a messaging campaign because we're trying to keep short little tiny snippets that someone might actually consider and they're like two seconds of the attention span Mm -hmm. that you get to capture um what we're trying to do is go back and focus again on the diseases. You know, um, you just say the word vaccine and, and people kind of shut down mm. immediately. And because we've had such success for so long, people forget what polio looks like, what whooping cough is like, what measles can do. Like it can be a rash. It can also be fatal. Chickenpox can be a fatal infection. Shingles is terrible. That's what I tell people all the time. Like most of the time, chickenpox is okay, but like shingles is crazy. Shingles is the pit. Yeah. So I'm going to get chickenpox. You're not getting shingles later. So the, the, a big part of the focus was to remind people why you need them because a lot of people get focused on you're telling me i need shots i'm like let's take the shots off the table for a second and remember why what are we trying to prevent you know hopefully before we really see returns we get you know out outbreaks of measles here and there you know and my husband has kind of a sick sense of humor but he's like waiting for the day that polio makes a comeback and like maybe that will be the thing that <laughs> triggers people to swing back the other way you know because we don't see these things so much and right. we sort of lose that perspective that mm-hmm. like you know all the babies that used to die of homophilus influenza every year was a really bad thing we don't want to go back there <laughs> you right. know well, let's 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 get some key facts out there, because yeah. in, mm-hmm. in preparing for this interview, uh, I looked at just sort of how do we how do we bust myths? And one mm. of the one of the main pieces of information that I came across was don't repeat the myths. Ooh. 
Nice. <laughs> so just don't don't give them any more time. So what are what are some key facts that that parents should know about vaccines, childhood mm. vaccines, pediatric vaccines? The first thing is that the the these way the schedule was developed. Right, the schedule was developed to protect babies when they are most vulnerable. Right, that's why it starts so young. <laughs> People think, oh, we're overwhelming the body with antigen load. Right, the immune system can't handle it. And then I know I just wonder like have you ever seen your kid like eat a mouthful of dirt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, lick the bottom of their shoe. Yeah. Like, way, way more antigens presented to your immune system in a couple of hours on a playground than what's in your vaccines. <laughs> you know? And that's good so, for them. Exactly. Go get dirty and eat some dirt. You know, yes. go barefoot. You know, wash your hands before you eat. But you know, for the most part, you know, get dirty, play. So that's always one that drives me a little bit bonkers. It's like it's too much for the immune system. I'm like, your kid just lick their shoe. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> So that's a big one for me. We still can't um, separate vaccines with autism. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. And I think that was really the start of that seed of doubt that got planted. You know, we've studied vaccines so much, really running out of ways to test their safety. You know, and a lot of modern studies are actually studying now how parents make decisions because that seems to be where to break in because we can't test vaccine safety anymore. <laughs> like, there is not a a, a, a a proof of causation on vaccines and autism. Are there some temporal associations? Do we give some vaccines at the same time that autism traits start to become apparent? Yes. One of actually, the big things. I actually shot, saw a study mm-hmm. that showed that autism started to show up in communities when cable arrived. Uh, so they, were, they were making they were making the the correlation. Correlation does not equal causation, but exactly. it was it was equally possible that Sesame Street causes <laughs> and Dora the Explorer cause autism. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's so hard. We desperately want to know where autism comes from. Yeah, you know, the thing we know is that it's not one thing. You know, um, and it's really hard as pediatricians who literally dedicate our entire lives to taking care of other people's kids to think that people think that we are going to recommend something that could be harmful. You know, and that's the part where you try to not take it personally, right? But sometimes at the end of the day, you get kind of offended. Like, why would you think I would do anything in the world that I thought would harm your child, you know? And when you look at data, it's interesting too. Autism rates are continuing to rise. Like we are under the hammer to figure out where autism is coming from. Autism is continuing to rise. Rates of vaccination are continuing to fall. And we think if they were intimately connected, mm-hmm. you would see a little bit different of a shift that we're not really seeing. Are there kids who have reactions to vaccines? Absolutely. You know, I have seen some, you know, is everything perfect for everyone? Of course not, you know, but those, those risks are so much smaller, you know, yeah. than your risk of getting pertussis and measles, mumps, you know. And there's 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 something in, in sort of our behavior and our cognition that like we're more afraid of the side effects of something that we do intentionally. We're more afraid of, you know, as adults, we're more afraid of feeling a little achy after the flu shot than we are of like getting pneumonia and dying on a dying. tube well, from just yes. the regular flu. 
Yes. And we'll not wear sunscreen. You know, like there's so many things. And that's where the the psychology background in me is just like fascinated Mm -hmm. by human behavior and like how these choices are made. It's so interesting. And that's what helps get me through the day. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be personally offended, but I'm just like fascinated. Like how did you in your brain get from point A to point B sometimes, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But just it's to be really clear, tricky. most parents, mm-hmm. the vast majority of parents get their kids vaccinated. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yep. So it's just For a sure. really small fraction of people who are under vaccinating or non-vaccinating their kids. There's quite a few, but there are quite a, quite a few who don't vaccinate at all or partially vaccinate or on this really long delayed schedule. Um, so I see a ton. Um, and I wish I had real numbers for you. I have to do that. Yeah. But there's a frightening amount of non-vaccinated kids or under-vaccinated kids um, in our community. I was just trying sure. to do this, the social proof convincing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost everybody gets vaccinated. Almost everybody. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important for a, a certain percentage of the population to be vaccinated? Mm-hmm. So we heard a lot of talk about herd immunity with um, the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, it, it's funny how people forget that that same thing, <laughs> it's the same herd immunity, the same concept that we talk about with, with children. Okay? Um, there are people who cannot receive vaccines for a number of reasons. Um, I have many children that are on, you know, immunosuppressive therapies or they've got, you know, cancer, they've got rheumatoid arthritis, they've got some horrible things that they're facing. They've got a severe allergy to a vaccine component, you know, um, someone in their family is on chemotherapy. There's all these swaths of people who are unable to get vaccinated. Um, so just like when you have a newborn, right. And we recommend mom get her Tdap booster and then grandparents get their Tdap booster and everyone gets their pertussis vaccine because that baby won't be protected until they're six months old. If, even if they're on time, it's the exact same scenario. We have taken care of the bubble around them to keep that baby safe. And we need our population to do the same. So everyone that's around those people that are unable to receive that vaccine need to be protected. So we can form a layer of protection for those who cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy with vaccination versus COVID. We don't have to wait for everyone to get sick. <laughs> we can vaccinate all the children who can be vaccinated and that protects our vulnerable population who who just can't do it it's also it also makes it harder for a particular disease to spread absolutely you can't get around as quickly mm-hmm. if more mm-hmm. people are vaccinated right exactly and i love to use measles for that example like measles is like like the horror contagion movie of a virus you know it's it's contagious in a room two hours later after the person's left like it spreads like crazy um so if that one person who had it went home and didn't go anywhere else okay if they didn't know yet because a lot of these things are contagious before you know you have them if you went to walmart and did the whole tour and got all your groceries and then went home as long as everyone you encountered (laughs) was immunized against measles it's not going to go anywhere but if you walk past a family of five who all the parents maybe are okay but none of the kids are vaccinated 
now we've got, you know, five kids. that can go out and spread the little tendrils of their own. So oh, they, go, they go to school in the playground. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. And it doesn't take, it doesn't take much for something to break through like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a favorite way to try and debunk vaccine myths and, and promote their use? You, you've talked about laughter and humor and relationship, all that so far. I'm just kind of curious if you've got a favorite tactic. Um, the biggest part is is finding out what someone's hesitation is. Um, and that's the part that's been getting super tricky lately. So many people just won't talk about. They, they come in like, I don't vaccinate, period. End of story. I'm like, well, why not? You know, so f- trying to find out what, what the cause is, you know, and if their, you know, neighbor's second cousin's, you know, babysitter had a reaction. Then we talk about like, well, what are the odds of that happening? You know, if you've actually seen it in your family and we talk about, yes, you've seen this and this is terrible and that was unfortunate. Um, But here's some numbers on how likely that actually is in a non-related, completely separate individual. You know, um, if they're worried about um, timing of vaccines and antigens, and we kind of have that talk about my licking your shoe example, um, and, and trying to just kind of not counter, but just provide some different examples. And I like to kind of do it as more in a story form. Like nobody wants to just have like stats hurled at them, you know? Um, so for me, I try really hard to, f- if, if they will share what their hesitancy is and then put some information in kind of a, in a story form that, that feels like it's coming from someone that, you know, and, and, or find a, a personal example of someone that we do actually know to kind of counteract that that concern that they have i don't like to just throw one i can't i don't remember numbers really well so i'm not that person who can just like reel off statistical information mm-hmm. this, this is not me they want that it takes two seconds to, to google it i'm like well here here's some actual data for you some people want that and so it's all about figuring out where they are what their concern is and and, and finding what kind of feels like it's going to be the best approach for them but it's hard to get that conversation started a lot of people just flat won't talk about it mm-hmm. It's sad. Yeah. No, I'm here. I'm the one. You're, you know, you can ask all these questions too. You know, I'm not part of this like vaccine mafia where I'm like, do it. Like I want to hear your concerns and see, you know, what information I can offer you that may, you know, help base your decisions on. Yeah. It sounds like you really have figured out how to not bring the judgment. I try. It's something yeah. I really work hard at because I hate hearing about experiences that patients have had at different places. And we're trying to build a relationship of trust. You know, your doctor-patient relationship is important. It's also very difficult when we when we're meeting someone new the first time, and like that's the first thing. And and it's hard for us because we're starting that relationship with someone who's saying, "I don't trust your opinion on all of this science, but I want you to be my doctor." <laughs> yeah, that's a sticky spot, tricky thing to navigate. And I always find that some people are so fascinating, like people who you know, don't want to take any medicine and they are not going to vaccinate, but they still come, they still come to us <laughs> for information, you know? And so that really, when I was newer, that really rattled me. I'm like, I don't understand why you're here. Like, what do I have to offer you? And that's kind of part of my motivation, expanding and learning about these other things. So again, we can bridge that gap, let people come in, let's try to build a relationship anyway, and maybe we'll chip away at some of these things when you see that you can come in and not get yelled at or dismissed as a patient, you know, um, 
it's, it's hard. And we just have to find ways to talk to each other again. <laughs> Society at large. <laughs> this is my one little way of trying to restore actual relationships and communication with people. So huge. And it's so beautiful. I, I just, I'm so glad you're where you are doing the work that you're doing. And really, I feel very moved by your commitment and your, your giant heart and, and your wonderful sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. So is there anything for, you know, for people who are listening out there, is there anything that individuals can do to help kind of repair trust in vaccines and even just repair trust in preventative care as a whole? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that we have to redo. I mean, vaccines have been one of the most successful interventions for decades. As you pointed out, they are the one of the most studied uh, mm-hmm. medicines of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I got filled full of needles as a baby and 55 years later, I'm doing great. Uh, and, and my grandmother didn't have that option and she walked with a hitch in her get along her whole life. But I'm just kind of curious, you know, what can, what can you talked about telling stories, but you know, is there anything that, that we can help you do, I guess is the question. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. I think all of us in general just need to, um, be careful in the things that we say and how we react to others. Um, there are places you can direct people to for information. And this is the thing that's gotten even more challenging uh, through the pandemic. You know, that the CDC was like this great bastion of, of resources and information. And now we've even like shaken our faith in the, in the CDC. I'm like, this is not helpful for us, you know. But there are good ways. I always direct people a lot. There's a healthychildren.org is a website that's maintained by the American Academy of Pediatrics that has a wealth of information that's reviewed by pediatricians. So I think it's helpful when people hear things in conversation and, you know, and somebody's quoting something crazy on Facebook, you know, like, here's another resource that might be good to check out, you know, not like you're wrong, that's crazy. But like, you know, here's maybe something else you could read if you want to continue your internet research. Here's a, here's a good site for information. Nice. And kind of bringing those, those things around and attack people for their beliefs and maybe constructively offer an alternative. You know, nobody wants to just be like, well, it's dumb. You're wrong. What are you thinking? <laughs> no, it doesn't go well with anybody. Um so, yeah, I think um, directing people to good information, encouraging like, yeah, you should really talk to your doctor about that. You know, maybe it's OK. Maybe you should give them a chance to hear you, <laughs> you know, um, and I like yeah, I like that. I think yeah. it's great. Provide, you know, provide that alternative source of information without without a ton of judgment and, and yeah. shade and say, right. go, go and be, ask your doctor about that. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's what they're that's- there for. I like that. Yeah. It's helpful. And I always tell parents, I mean, parents are under tremendous pressure between social media and all the mom groups can get in, like it can get intense. Um, I'm not in any, cause I'm like, I don't need that in my life. I got enough right. people. Like I, I, I put enough pressure on myself. I don't need anybody else helping me <laughs> along. But I'm always tracking. I always try to really support parents. Like you're trying to make the best decision that you can. And for most people, parents really believe they're making the right decision for their kid. And I always try to take time to acknowledge that 
it's a very emotional decision. Like sometimes there's some factual stuff in it too, but really like, I know you're trying to do the best thing for your kid. And I'm also trying to do the best thing for your kid. So let's just kind of talk about the places where we differ. And if we can, you know, come to an agreement, great. If not, we're still gonna, you know, acknowledge in the end that we're both just trying to do the best thing for your kids. And that's helpful because parents are just getting creamed (laughs) from every angle out there now. It's the hardest job. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a great place to, to leave this. Yeah. I mean, I think the only mm-hmm. thing left to say is um, I'm not getting a check from the vaccine uh, industrial right. complex. <laughs> Kelly's, <laughs> Kelly's not getting a check from the vaccine industrial complex. That is so true. To put yes. this podcast together. Hopefully we yes. are, hopefully the three of us are, are trusted voices in the community. Right, yes. but we are a case study in successful vaccination. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's one big myth. I'm just going to squeeze in here at the end since you mentioned that, that pediatricians do nothing but lose money on vaccines. Oh, wow. (laughs) They are a huge expense to any practice. There is no profit margin. They only, we get some provided by the state for certain patients. The rest we buy, you waste one dose, you are you're in the negative. So just in case anyone holds that mess, the doctors are in it for the money. We, it it is a money loss venture for us. (laughs) One big myth. I make sure everybody It is for the public good, not for your personal good. Absolutely zero kickback from that at all, other than doing our job and trying to keep kids healthy. (laughs) Well, we're sure glad you're doing that. Well, thank you, Dr. Tedrowski. We're so, so happy you could take some time out and talk with us and, you know, give us a little glimpse into your world. And we're so glad that you're fighting the good fight and helping our kids stay healthy and our families stay happy. Thank you. Thank you for having me, for using your platform to help help spread some more positive information. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could just imagine that everyone wants a doctor like Dr. T, Charles. She is so great at listening to her patients, treating them like people, holy moly, connecting with them and finding solutions that will work for and with them as they are. I feel so inspired by her human-centered approach and her great affection for her peeps. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out whether I can pass for a 10-year-old and, and have her be, oh, my, I know, right? be my primary care physician. You know, and I just want to kind of just reiterate what she had to say about the Vaccinate with Confidence campaign. You know, vaccines are proven medicine that keeps kids safe. And that's that's what's important in this community. We got to keep kids safe. Yeah, and there's if, a ton of science on it. Like good science, not junk science. Exactly. Good, if, real, actual science. Exactly. And, you know, and if anyone listening is hesitant or concerned, or if you know anybody who's hesitant or concerned about any vaccine for yourself, mm-hmm. for kids, for, for elders, whatever, you know, talk to your doctor and, and don't take our word for it. Don't take the word of anybody you find on the Internet. Don't take the word of anybody you find on YouTube or any old podcast. Talk to your doc. Get the straight scoop. Let's keep everybody healthy so we can all be here for, uh, yeah, for all, all the, the good things. All the great things. I want to I want to be able to walk around at, at uh, Acker Night downtown in oh December and listen gosh, to all the music right? and That's the best. be able to smile at everybody and not have to wear a mask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Let's nip this thing. Nip it. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and to Prescott Woman Magazine so you never miss a moment of local goodness. 
Thank you so much for listening. The Prescott Woman Podcast is produced by Rocket Feather Creative. 